This is Nikki Toyamasito, the executive director of Christians for Social Action, and your host for 20 Minute Takes. On this episode, we speak with David DeLeon. He's a content strategist at Christians for Social Action, the executive producer of this podcast, as well as a doctoral student at Fordham University. In this conversation, we talk about memory and the unique role it plays in the Christian faith, as well as in the Asian American community. David DeLeon, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Takes. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you here on this side of the microphone. David is our producer and editor and all-around extraordinary leader here on the podcast. I was going to say, I am kind of here every time, but yes, you are actually hearing me today. So <laughs> here, here in a different way, in front of the in mic. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I know that being on the front side of the mic is not something that you are a stranger to, given some of your uh, your past in musical theater and in jazz. Can you? Did you have a favorite role or a favorite experience? I'll give you two. Okay. Uh, one in musical theater. I've only okay. been in one musical. It was in high school, and I was in Joseph and the Technical Dreamcoat. Love it. I played Reuben, uh-huh. the eldest brother of Joseph, and it was uh-huh. very. Uh, aggressive when I roughed up Joseph when we threw him into the pit. <laughs> and so one night, I think it was opening night, like uh-huh. I was really feeling the moment. And I, <laughs> I kind of hurt him. Like we threw him down oh, and no. he like hurt his wrist. Oh no. Anyway, that's one moment. The second one is I have I performed vocal jazz at Carnegie Hall. Did you really? I thought you looked familiar. Senior wow. in high school. Yeah, I think it was a senior in high school. So and it fun. was the most magical experience. And then afterward, my musical, my music teacher, she was like, I wish I had opted for them to record it, oh. but it was more money. <laughs> so she was trying to save money. And then she had the most ethereal, sort of weighty, oh. beautiful uh, music that came out of us. Yeah. And it, we only have it in memory now. It lives on in your heart. It does. <laughs> It'll get only better and bigger. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us because um, one of the things that w- we wanted to chat with you about, uh, particularly as we were talking with Asian American Pacific Islander leaders um, and trying to go a little bit deeper into that story, is uh, we wanted to chat with you about memory. And I understand that this is kind of an area that you have been doing some work in uh, around the area of memory, and then particularly how memory uh, informs or shapes uh, the AAPI experience and, and the community today. Um, and, and I think one of the things I'm particularly interested in is in that intersection of, um, of memory and how that informs how we show up in the public sphere um, as AAPI folks. Uh, like I know for me, um, part of my family's story is uh, part of the mass incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II. And I know that that's, um, though it is not a living memory for me, that was not my experience, uh, but my story's experience, I know that's a huge shaper um, for how it is that I sort of show up, how I understand myself and, and my place in the world. Can you tell us just a little bit about some of what you are learning and understanding about the role of memory? I study theology these days, and and some of the theology that I'm getting to delve into is that of 
uh, J.B. Metz, who was a German theologian, um, sort of in the wake of World War II. And he was basically trying to ask what led to the Christians' political inactivity in Germany during World War II and the Nazi atrocities and the Holocaust and, and what sort of what sort of lack of memory actually contributed to that. And um, so J.B. Metz sort of calls Christianity as a whole a spirituality of memory, that it's an entire memory that is built on the remembrance of Jesus's life, uh, the death, and however we make meaning of that, and the resurrection. And that when we think about what the church is, it is it is a community of memory that sort of transcends time and generations. And so, as we proclaim sort of faith in in and and remember, you know, the death, resurrection, life ministry of Jesus, um, we're sort of bringing that memory to bear and embodying it in the church today. Fascinating. Um, it gives it gives new resonance to that, like in uh, do this in remembrance of me. I I always just thought of it as like a church phrase, but now that you're sort of framing, uh, really one of the major uh, forces of Christianity is this. It's a it's a remembrance. Yes, or it's memory. Yes, and that part of the Catholic Mass and Catholic liturgy is known as the anamnesis, which is the remembrance, right? And and this remembrance of uh, Jesus and his death is then sort of it's 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 followed up by an offering, and it's the sense that the church is offering itself and its life to the world in a way that Jesus's memory is made real. Right. And so oh. that's sort of the, the formal connection that we see there. So that's like the flip side of like people who say uh, bearing witness or something. It's also this make the memory real in today. And and that might be one way to, to frame or to understand exactly. the Christian faith. Wow. Exactly. And so if we move from that and we sort of think about the Asian American experience, um, and I think of it as, um, you know, you, you, you don't often talk about the Asian ex- American experience without talking about like the model minority myth, right? And this notion and this myth of, of Asian American exceptionalism, which in some ways is conflated with like an East Asian post 1965 professional, you know, uh, wealthy educated experience in the United States. And I think there's actually a way in which um, post-1965 immigration and what those sorts of immigrant stories look like is actually a total obscuring of um, what the Asian American experience was like before that. And I think in some of this work of like, what does it mean to remember and recall and what does that mean? I, I think that it is a recovery in many ways of um, sort of the, the, the memory of what Asian American life looked like before the model minority experience, if that makes hmm. sense. So are you saying, um, cause I, I know a lot of folks in their immigration experience, they reset when they yes. come into the United States. Yes. And so what I'm hearing you say is there is, is the obscuring, is that kind of the, the not, uh, not looking or, or not having a clear, this clear memory of the time before that immigration moment or is it we we have an experience that then gets washed by this model minority myth yeah. and we sort yeah. of forget the things that yeah. don't fit in that? Yeah, so I'd say it's both, 
right? Okay. I'd say that it is that um, inherent in the immigrant experience is one of intentional and unintentional forgetfulness. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. That there are things that you wish to remember from the homeland that your That's parents right. experienced that they That's you just right. can't, right? It's right. things that the communal memory of the the body or the town that like my parents grew up in, in the Philippines, right? Like you just can't bring that with you. Um, but then there are also the ways that um, when immigrants and particularly Asian American immigrants, especially post-1965, the kind of assimilation that is demanded of um, of Asian American immigrants for the sake of belonging. That's right. right. That there or is survival. Survival, yeah. right? Uh-huh. Um, that's a sort of forced forgetfulness that I'd say that like whiteness sort of tries to impress upon Asian Americans. And I think the model minority myth is a very particular way in which that sort of memory is being enforced in a particular way. Um, there's really interesting, um, work by Dan Ang and Shin Hee Han in this book that came out in the last few years called Racial Melancholia. And, um, it's based on Freud's theory of melancholy, which is basically this process of mourning that doesn't end and that it eventually leads people to eventually self-destruction, basically. And these, these two Asian American scholars, uh, were motivated by, seeing the high rates of suicide among their Asian American students and saying, why is, why does this disproportionately happen for our community? And so at the heart of it, you know, racial melancholia is this notion of a forced forgetfulness that happens when the United States in its culture sort of dangles belonging, survival, et cetera, in front of you at the cost of whiteness and at the cost of forgetfulness, such that your identity experiences death and sometimes our very bodies and being experience death, right? And so um, the question that I've been working on, it's why I sort of was exploring Metz and his work around memory is what practices of sacramental memory can we partake in so that we can push up against the forces of racial melancholia and all of its destruction and the particular ways that that affects a multiplicity of Asian American communities. Okay. And, and are you thinking of this specifically in the context of like a Christian church? Is, is that where the word sacramental is coming from or are you using that in a different way? Um, I think when I'm writing, I am particularly thinking about Asian American Christians. It's just because I think I do theology and I do my scholarship outside of this particular tradition yeah, I do uh-huh. think there are ways that um, you know sacrament means uh, an external representation of a hidden or an internal or divine reality that's happening, right? And it's a way in which we're able to symbolize or embody uh, a, the grace of God that that Christians see. So you see that communion is understood as a sacrament or the Eucharist. Baptism is an outward indication of an inward reality or a transcendent reality, right? That um, is for the community and the individual to see. And in that way, it's understood as grace. And this is sort of within Catholic liturgical thought. And so the question is, are there practices that externalize these realities of memory or forgetfulness that we as individuals and as communities can actually see them together and sort of receive grace and healing from God in that particular way. 
I mean, that's beautiful. I, as you're talking, uh, the, this idea of memory or remembrance, and then it's counter forgetting. Um, uh, can you say more about what are some of these aff- affirming practices or uh, these sort of uh, things that we should press into uh, to counter this erasing or this forgetfulness that now we're seeing as really quite dangerous? So I think, I mean, these things feel really basic, but I think how we decide to frame them for our lives as a sacrament is sort of what is key here. One is sort of learning a broader history of Asian America and its various constituent communities uh, in ways that maybe we hadn't done that before. So reading uh, history books um, and knowing the story, right? And we can trust in sort of scholars and historians to help us do that. But then there are also just practices of of um, engaging with your elders and relatives and how those practices of storytelling or in Tagalog or Filipino, right? It's making cuento, t- making story, talking story, how those things preserve memory and I know in my life right now, as my parents are aging, you know, there's this intense motivation in me and I've still not made enough time to do it, but to just record conversations with my parents where, yeah, like I'm hearing them recount um, stories that will be sort of lost um, if I don't hear them uh, and I'm not told them and I don't remember them in a particular way that I'm able to share them with like with my children or their children's children, you know? And so um, I'm trying to do that, listening to elders. Um, I also think there are ways in which um, we can understand uh, places uh-huh. as like holy sites of pilgrimage. Yes. yes. Um, that have to do with, with, you know, the broad contours of Asian American immigration, whether that's like Angel Island or um, the little manilas that are sort of disappearing and the stories that are tied to that all around the country. Or, um, you know, I was in one of my papers, I wrote about how the grape and asparagus fields of Delano, California are holy sites that sort of have to be remembered where these movements of, of organizing and dignity for the sake of agriculture workers and Filipinos helping to lead the way, how that is, a sacred story that needs to be sacramentally remembered such that um, we, we can receive the grace that comes with um, attaching ourselves to a broader story, um, especially ones that are not, um, especially stories that aren't as veneered as I'd say like the model minority myth. No, totally. I mean, so what you're saying also raises another dynamic that I think is particularly pronounced in the Asian and maybe supercharged in the Asian Christian space is that of shame. And I think some of the forgetfulness comes from a forced forgetfulness as a response to shame. But what I hear you doing is reclaiming and in a sense honoring some things that others have taught us maybe something to be hidden, but to recognize, no, no, no. This is, so can you say a little bit more about shame as it might relate to memory and, and, and remembering and forgetfulness? I'll say this. I'll say that um, 
I'll speak particularly from my experience as a Filipino American. And, you know, there's been a lot of work done on the internal um, sort of the internalized colonialism that Filipino Americans experience, right? And there's this education, particularly with American colonialism at the beginning of the 20th century, of sort of the inferiority of Filipinos, right, to anything that is American or white. And and that isn't sort of, that isn't just an affective thing. Like that was something that came about from um, the very education system that the United States installed in the Philippines, right? It came about from the way in which uh, colorism was sort of enacted uh, before the United States, but in particular sort of the way in which the U.S. was thought of as a place of prosperity and beauty and grandeur, right? And so Filipinos wanted everything to do with that. And, and so I'd say that some of the the process of shame and what memory does is remembering and doing our best to sort of think about um, the beauty that there was uh, before the shame, right? Or that there, there are ways in which we had to be taught to be ashamed of ourselves or how we look or our stories. Um, and, and that's a challenging thing, particularly for Filipino Americans, because prior to American colonialism, you had 300 years of Spanish colonialism. And so that this project of sort of a recovery in some sense that, that if we're honest, won't ever really sort of happen in terms of like, we're not going to get back to where we were before, but there are new ways that we can engage with the shame or the self-hatred um, that that I think are actually life-giving, right? That we can recover stories of resilience and beauty or resistance, I'd say. Uh, stories where people asserted their dignity and that we can actually sort of draw, um, I'd say pride, but 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 just uh, honor, right? Like... Um, that we could sort of, we could, and this isn't how honor shame is usually used, but we can sort of properly, I'd say, honor sort of those stories as beautiful and as as worthy of telling and remembering. Yeah, no, I love that. I Because I think there was another thing I had in the back of my head was like, oh, what is it that we as Christians need to be aware of in this conversation? And you sort of answered that of, I do think that that is... Um, a common Christian posture of trying to navigate what is the invitation. Can you say, can you say a bit about how this engagement with memory informs Christians as they're trying to show up in the public sphere, as they're trying to lean into a more just society? Um, what, what role or, or how do those things sort of interact? I have a way that I can answer that for Asian Americans. Please. Yeah. I'll say for Asian Americans with these practices of remembrance, sort of what it means for showing up um, and, and what I've seen pretty powerfully when I've tried to talk to Asian Americans who are maybe more resistant to conversations about legacies around race and racism is that, um, and people can argue with me about this, but uh, when people, when people become aware of their own stories of injustice I think it does give us the capacity, the greater capacity for solidarity mm -hmm. um, with other communities. Yes. Yeah. And so as Asian Americans, 
you know, in my my experience, as as I've tried to recover sort of what it felt like to be Filipino before the model minority myth sort of clouded that. And there were the explicit signs in California that would say no Filipinos allowed. Mm -hmm. Or when I remember that it is, you know, the, the largest sort of mass lynching in history happened to Chinese Americans or Chinese immigrants in, in Los Angeles, right? That there are these points of resonance with other communities, um, other racial communities, other uh, ethnic communities, um, where we we don't conflate our stories and there's a particularity to them, right? And But we can find common cause in the journey toward justice, especially if we we're talking about racial um, justice and racial solidarity. Um, and there are a lot of ways that that, you know, that can be sort of problematized and everything. But I do think that um, when people become aware of their own stories and, and how it intertwines with that of other people's stories, um, the capacity for partnership is greater. Oh, I mean, even as you're saying that, that's, I feel like that's uh, opening some of the windows in, in some of the ways that I have felt very drawn into the justice conversation. And it's exactly, as you said, uh, just recognizing in my own story, some of the doors that open, because I just know a little bit of that same dynamic, because uh, that story comes from my community. Um, so, you know, like I think of, oh, the invitation for Japanese to register with the government for their quote unquote safety, and how that f- feels so similar to like dreamers who are being told to register and then the the risk that that list turns into a, a gather up, yeah, kind of or a even list. yeah, or even like uh, I've heard you share about um, what sort of your participation in the conversations around reparations. These that's right. Is that's like right. Because of what your family experienced, and yeah, and the power, the healing power of reparations, even though no amount is enough, it's th- there. There is something that 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 really does. I think the other thing I'll say is looking at the troublesome histories has also helped me know how to show up a bit, knowing my own community, my own Japanese community also have been perpetrators of injustice. You know, like, so I think that's been sort of a helpful check uh, in the justice journey uh, where things I think tend to be uh, very passionate. And And I think even sort of your question about shame earlier speaks to that that looking at the truth of our stories Mm -hmm. and maybe the legacies of where our families or people like us have participated in anti-Blackness or have joined the settler colonial state, right? That thrives these days on still the displacement and genocide of Native peoples in the U.S., right? Like we can look at these histories and our participation and memory um, and how God meets us in that memory is um, not just the removal of shame, but the invitation to participate in making things right. Well, David DeLeon, thank you so much for joining us on 20 Minute Takes. You've given us so much to think about and we appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Nikki. You ask great questions. Twenty Minute Takes is a production of Christians for Social Action. We're produced and edited by David DeLeon. I'm your host, Nikki Toyamasito, and the music is done by Andre Henry. You can find us on the web at ChristiansforSocialAction.org. Give us five stars, write a review, and share about the podcast with your friends.